A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. This is the Retirement Toolbox. Walter Storholt here alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor and president of Skybox Financial Group, serving you in the greater Cleveland area with an office also down in sunny Bradenton, Florida. Find us online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com and check out the Tax-Free Retirement Toolkit and order your free copy today. Learn lots about retirement that way, as well as here on the show. Scott, how are you doing this week? I am doing great, Walter. How about yourself? Doing well. Looking forward to uh, chatting with you a little bit and unpacking a buzzword in the financial world, risk-averse, something that I think if anybody's close to retirement, they've probably heard somebody say that word, or at least just talk about risk in some way. But that extra little verbiage there, risk-averse, seems to be kind of like a hot-button word to use for a lot of financial folks. Am, Am I right in that regard? Oh yeah, you know this is this is another one of those uh, you know kind of industry buzzwords, and everybody likes to throw out fancy things and risk averse. And and I tell you, people have picked up on it, and I get almost everybody that comes in my office, you know, is risk averse, you know, because everybody wants to have their cake and eat it too, right? Right, right. And that's and so what we mean by risk averse is like it's a fancy way of saying I want to avoid risk or you know steer away from risk, right? Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, so many people, they, you know, will come in the office and, and, you know, I want to uh, retire and grow my money, but I don't want to lose any money. Well, you know, me neither. But, you know, the reality is there's that risk and reward calculation that we can't forget about that in order for you to make money, you need to put some money at risk. So, and, you know, the bank's a perfect example. If you don't, want to take any risk, well, you, you really can't make much money. And I mean, every, everybody's risk adverse. I mean, I really think everybody truly is. It's just well, it's kind of human nature, right? To, <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of trained and uh, there's like this, you know, mental part of, isn't it a good idea to avoid big risks in our lives? Yeah. I mean, you, you, it's that, maybe it's that, um, what is it, that law of nature, that fight or flight kind of thing? Sure. Uh, you know, kind of similar along the lines to that. You know, and, and the reality is, you know, I tell my clients all the time is that you've worked your whole life to accumulate the money that you have, and you've done a great job doing it. But now you're at this point of retirement, and, you know, you don't want to lose it because you worked so hard to get to that point a great point. So we're going to talk a little bit about risk averse over the next couple of minutes. We've also got a great email, a question that we're going to get to today from Olivia, wondering about long-term care premiums going up. And so should we keep it the same, uh, change, cancel, kind of what you should do in that situation. So that'll be good to handle her question a little bit later on. And we're going to talk about some things that people should do at least once in their lives in our Getting to Know You segment later on today. But let's continue with the risk-averse conversation, Scott. So when somebody comes in and tells you they are risk-averse, they want to you know, avoid being risky in their plan, does their plan often match up with what they are then talking about? Like if they say, I don't want to be risky, and then you look at the plan, you're like, well, you're taking a lot of risk in this plan. Does that happen? Yeah, that happens more 
times than not. You know, because like I said, everybody really wants to be risk averse. And when you get to retirement, you 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 know in the back of your mind, hey, I need to grow my money. I'm gonna if you retire at sixty-five, you might very well have twenty-five to thirty years in your retirement between you and your your spouse. So we know we need to grow that money. But at the same time, like I said, you don't want to lose that money. And you know, a lot of people that come in the office though. When I analyze their portfolio, we take a look at, at you know how much risk they're truly taking. I would tell you 90% of people are surprised that of, of what their risk level currently is because you know, a lot of people come in, they have their 401k plan. Well, a 401k plan, it's designed to accumulate money. If you ever look at the investment options in the majority of 401k plans, there'll be like 10 different stock investments and maybe two bond investments and then a stable value fund or something like that. There's the majority of the money in the 401k fund choices are designed for risk and accumulation. So they're designed for when they're when you're 30 years old, 40 years old and you know you don't worry about how much risk you're taking. But when you get close to retirement and people come in with these 401k plans saying, "Yeah, I got it in the you know the target 2030 fund. So I should be good. I'm not taking much risk. And you look at that and you realize, you know, I show them that you're actually taking a ton of risk. And I think a lot of it is just people don't really bother to look at it all that much. All right. Interesting. So we've got people who say they're risk averse, but then for various reasons, their money is still sitting in very risky places. Can you maybe give us some examples here, or at least one that's sort of like a boots on the ground kind of feeling, maybe describe a situation where you've seen somebody carrying more risk than they realized and and kind of what happened and what you did? Yeah, I had uh, somebody come into my office not too long ago. And, uh, they came in. One of the first things we did is, is, you know, we talk about about risk. How comfortable are they with risk? And we walk through a financial plan. So in their particular situation, um, a husband and wife. Wife had already retired, and and she was started. She already collected her Social Security, and and then the husband was going to retire. He had the majority of the assets in, in his company 401k plan, and they also had some other brokerage accounts that they had that were non-IRAs that they accumulated a, a pretty decent chunk of money in. And you know, we first develop a plan. We lay out you know, how much they're going to need in retirement. And we take a look at the different taxable accounts. What do they have and what they don't have? Uh, and then we come to that conversation of risk. And they say, well, you know, I don't want to you know, I don't want to lose any money. You know, we, like I said before, we've worked our whole lives and, and we, you know, we don't want to lose any money. And, uh, which I can completely relate to because that is really what we try to do with people is we, there's no way to guarantee you're not going to lose money and be able to get the growth a lot of the times that you really want to. So in their particular situation, I started analyzing their portfolio and they were they had about 90% of their of all of their assets were in stocks and they didn't even realize that because you know a lot of them were in mutual funds or ETFs and they got weird names to them and they really didn't know what they were invested in and they actually had you know their portfolio was doing well because they had about 10% of everything they had was in one stock in Apple, and they didn't even realize it, right? Because it was all inside those mutual funds. So they were concentrated in, in a lot of those stocks, and they were doing really well. But then we, we went over the conversation that if, you know, 
Things are going to be volatile. Things will go up. Things will go down. And we looked at their portfolio, and we looked at kind of what their downside is if things get kind of nasty, and they would have dropped about 20%, 30%. So we adjusted that portfolio then in order to have them set up so that if things do get nasty, and they will, of course, that their drop was a lot less, but yet we were still able to give them the growth they needed to fund their retirement all the way to age 95. That's helpful to kind of see how you are able to move things around, change, and illustrate those differences uh, when somebody kind of is out of line with what they think is their plan, you know, X amount of riskiness uh, versus what it needs to be in reality. But there is still this like constant strain, I guess, of somebody that you know wants their money to grow but doesn't want to take risk. What might a retirement plan look like for me if I come in, or just anybody listening to today's show, that you're able to structure? And I say, ah, look, I'm really risk averse, but I also don't want to just keep everything in cash. I realize inflation is a big issue right now, and so I don't want to just keep it somewhere where I'm not going to get any growth. Do you have to get creative with a, a solution when somebody's kind of really staunchly in that risk averse category? Well, I think number one, Walter, is kind of like, you know, the education phase is part one where, you know, we go over those numbers and say, we know we need to get X amount of, of growth throughout these years in order to stay ahead of inflation and be able to fund your goals. And a lot of the times, maybe people are really running tight on cash and we need to take a little bit more risk in order to grow it over the long term. But what we do is when we restructure a retirement income plan for clients, we have really several different stages or buckets that we utilize so that we'll have a bucket that's more of a longer-term bucket. Well, let me back up. Let me talk about the short-term bucket. The short-term bucket is set up with investments that have got very little volatility. You take very little risk and generate an income for you to live on. So that maybe that's, you know, we'll have a discussion. Maybe that's a couple years worth of the income that we need is in there. It's not invested in the market. So you know, if the markets drop up and down, you know, it doesn't affect what your income is. Then we'll have a kind of an intermediate kind of stage where what we do then is we take a little bit more risk in there. And as we start to deplete that first bucket, we'll move some of that money over from, you know, that, that second one to the first to fund retirement. Then maybe that last bucket is going to be the riskiest, more the longer term money where we're trying to get larger gains, but we're taking a lot more risk. And then we constantly would move money when we review from bucket to bucket in order to be able to have that money available that they're using to live on. They're not taking any risk with that, but the money that they're not going to use 10 years from now is where they're taking all the risk. So that is kind of how we like to structure it because it gives people that opportunity to get the growth they need, but also give them the comfort to know that the money they're using now is not going to be affected by what the markets are doing. Very good. We're talking about these uh, this risk-averse notion, and I know it can be tough to hear that buzzword and kind of translate it and understand what it means for your situation. But if you feel like you're, you don't have a good grasp about the amount of risk that you want to take or should take and how to bring those things into alignment and what's appropriate, those are all good triggers that you should pick up the phone and give Scott a call or go to talktoscott.com and schedule a time to visit 
uh, from your computer or smartphone um, because that's you just need to get those things in line and get a good grasp on it. So let that be a little red flag to pop up and say, hmm, I probably need to talk to somebody a little bit more about this. And so if that's you after listening to today's show and you want to talk a little bit more about your plan, the amount of risk you're taking, and how to properly structure your retirement vision, give Scott a call at 888-742-0111 or again, go to talktoscott.com to schedule that time to meet. And you can also find the contact information in the description of today's show. Scott, thanks for taking us through that conversation on being risk averse. Very helpful. And now it's time to get to know you a little bit better. It's getting to know you time. All right, Scott, the fun question for you this week in our getting to know you segment. Uh, This would be a pretty good one, actually. Uh, What is something that you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? So you know what, Walter, I thought about this, and uh, this may be a little odd, but I think everybody at some point in their time in their life should go to Disney World. Okay, I mean, I think that guy. So I haven't, I haven't been to Disney World. So. It it is just one of those places where no matter how old you are, you always just seem to have fun. And I enjoy the fact that they, you know, they're so attention to detail. They're so customer service oriented that everything you do there is just kind of this wow experience. Every time, I mean, it costs an arm and a leg for the wow, but it's, uh, it's truly just a, a neat, or as I say, a magical place, right? I don't know. It, it's kind of hard for me to think of something that you know, everybody should do once in their lives. That's kind of what I came up with because it's just a neat place. Yeah, I, I need to take your suggestion and probably go there at some point. Still haven't done that quite yet, but uh, whenever we went to Orlando, I always opted for the like the Universal Studios, the little bit more like you know more central centric to roller coasters and the action type right. stuff, and less less of the magical, if you will. Well, I tell you what, are you a Star Wars fan? Uh, not a huge Star Wars fan. Well, even my wife hates Star Wars. Okay, all right. And she loved the Star Wars uh, area of of uh, oh, Hollywood really? Studios okay. at Disney World because it's just so detailed. You literally feel like you're in Star Wars. That's true. Anything that sort of just transports you to a different world mentally, it's worth kind of seeing and experiencing because it's pretty neat how they can do that. Yeah, and she said that was a favorite part of her trip was that, and she oh, okay. absolutely hates Star Wars. But he said, she said it was just right. so cool the way everybody was dressed, uh, the whole you like walk into that area of the park, and even little things like the little vendors that are selling Coca Cola. They redo the bottles of Coke so they look like little like balls, and they've got space lettering on them that are in a different language. It was probably a language from the movie somewhere. And then the actual cart they're serving the Coke out of looks like a droid that was, would be like a beverage droid. There was like, a, a, you know, like the robot in the front and then the cart behind uh-huh. it. I mean, just stuff like that to get the Coke. You're like, this is cool. That's pretty neat. That's attention to yeah. detail, that's for sure. Yeah, it's really, really neat. They could have just stuck a regular old, you know, Coke vending display there and been done with it. But no, they spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars just to redesign the Coke vendors. That's pretty cool. 
neat to see that creativity in every way, shape, and form when you're in a place like that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I will throw out something that I just did on a recent vacation, and uh, just because it's an easy thing at the top of my mind. But we drove up to the top of Pikes Peak when we were out in Colorado, and um, it was a really cool experience. Really enjoyed it, getting 14,000-plus feet of elevation in that way and a really fun drive to the top, although you can apparently also take a like a train, a tram, uh, straight up the mountain, up the side of the mountain to the top as well, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. But we drove up to the top, and it was a beautiful view. But then experiencing that thin air was really something else. We were having some trouble breathing. Like, we were taking heavy breaths just walking across the parking lot and felt a little woozy at times while we were up there. It was a very, like, different experience. And then they have this map and this graphic in the little, like, museum that's at the top of the mountain. And mm-hmm. it says, uh, it shows you, like, you're at, um, I think it was... We were at 66% or maybe 75% of available oxygen compared to being at sea level at a a lower elevation. So to see that big of a difference in how your body reacts to down to like the 75% quality of air, but then to realize that Mount Everest is three times as tall and only like 33% of the available oxygen. And you start to understand just the challenge that it must be to get to Everest or even just to get to the lower levels of Everest, let alone to the actual summit and why so many people perish trying to do it. It really gives you kind of a new, a newfound respect for that. Wow. Wow. That is, that is pretty cool. It was also like 78 degrees when we started the drive up the mountain. It was a beautiful day and it was 37 with like a wind chill of 20 when we got to the top. So that was, that was the temperature difference in just (laughs) a a half hour of driving up the top. Wow. Wow. All right. I'm going to have to put that on my bucket list too. It was pretty cool. It was, it was pretty neat. Cause I, there's not, a, but a couple of mountains where you can truly do that drive all the way to the top on such a big, big mountain like that. So it was a pretty neat experience and the views were just breathtaking, very beautiful, very cool drive. Felt like you were kind of on another planet. It was, it was very weird. At any point in that drive, were you, uh, like near the edge where you're afraid you're going to fall off kind of thing? So actually a pretty funny story for you. Connie actually fell asleep on so she just has a real problem with cars and she falls asleep almost instantly anytime we drive somewhere i mean if we're just going out to dinner she won't fall asleep but on the way back from dinner yeah it's a possibility she'll fall asleep (laughs) but any sort of like trip she just can't help it and she just passes out so here we are with these beautiful views and she's just passing out in the passenger seat but she woke up right in the middle of a curve I think it was when we, right as we had started our descent, she had fallen asleep. And then like two minutes later, she wakes up in the middle of the curb. And my guess is the first thing she sees is just open space and kind of feels her body like leaning out that direction because we were going around a curve. And it was the funniest thing because she woke up and her arms just like went straight out in front of her. Like she was trying to like find out where she was in space. And she had this really concerned look on her face. She had no idea where she was or what was happening. <laughs> well, it was pretty good. The reason I ask is, is my my wife is not a fan of cars being near the edge of anything. When I go uh-huh. over bridges, I, I purposefully drove close and closer to the edge a couple of times just to spook a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. When I go over bridges, my wife wants me in the center lane and not the far lane. Oh gosh! So wow, that's funny. Yes. So uh, 
I don't uh, know. They, they race cars up that mountain. They have a yearly race. So I didn't know this oh, until yeah, we, I've heard we of there. I've heard of that, actually. And it, we're not talking like, you know, just your old beater, like those super duper, you know, fancy high speed hyper cars. Right. Um, and like they, they average going up the mountain over 100 miles an hour. Average is the average wow. speed. Um, pretty, pretty impressive. Apparently one had a, an issue a couple of years ago and went flying off the mountain at like full speed. Wow. Yeah. So I, that must be quite a sight to see the race. Wow. Yeah. That would be, that'd be super cool. I suggest anybody to go check that out. If you happen to be in the uh, Colorado area, take the, take the opportunity to drive up to the top, see it for yourself. Pretty neat experience and very accessible. Didn't take long to get there at all from like the main, you know, center of activity in, in Colorado Springs. You just drive into the mm-hmm. mountains less than a half an hour and boom, you're already on your way up to the top. So pretty cool. All right. Well, there you go. A couple of things that you should do at least once, according to Scott and I. Now we're going to answer one of your questions to wrap up this week's show. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This week's mailbag question comes to us from Olivia. By the way, if you want to submit a question, you can do so online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com. Olivia says, our long-term care premiums are going up this year and pretty significantly. Should we just pay the extra cost or cancel it and take our chances? Wow, Olivia, this is something that I've actually ran into more than you would quite imagine. People have bought long-term care policies, the old school long-term care, where it's kind of you you use it or lose it kind of thing. So you have this long-term care you're paying every month or quarterly or annually. And what has happened is that as these policies have gotten older, these companies have realized they may not have necessarily priced it accurately to start with. So every year they file with the different states in order to approve an increase. And then they come and every year it seems that they are asking for these increased premiums. And then what the the letter will usually say, well, you can pay more and keep your same level of coverage, or you can keep paying what you're paying and we will reduce your level of coverage. The problem is that you know, majority of people out there are going to end up in a long-term care facility at some point in time in their lives. All right, we just know the statistics, we know the odds, and Murphy's Law will say that if you cancel the policy, you'll end up needing it a week after you cancel it. Um, that's just the way Murphy's Law works. So I a story is I had a client who has, they've both since passed away. But when they were both together, they actually, every year, when they're, they had bought this policy previous to working with me, every year they would call me and say, Scott, should we get rid of this? Should we get rid of this? You know, the fact of the matter is they had already had this policy for 10, 15 years, 20 years, and been paying X amount a month every year. I mean, X amount every year. And they've already had so much vested into it that it would be a shame to cancel it. Um, They never ended up canceling it. It ends up that the wife passed away, but then the husband ended up staying in a long-term care facility for about 10 years. He had dementia and his body was fine, but he was in there for 10 years. And that long-term care policy paid for that facility. So it ended up being a good thing that they didn't cancel it. But what I would tell you, Olivia, to do is maybe depending on your age and your situation, maybe you take a look at uh, 
maybe some different types of policies, some that aren't going to increase your premium every year. There, there's different policies out there where you can actually now, if you don't use it, it'll pay a tax-free death benefit or it'll give money to your kids. Those have a tendency to have locked-in premiums, and you don't have to worry about that. So there are options out there. Uh, I would encourage you, without really thinking about it, don't cancel it. I would have somebody that's familiar with long-term care take a look at it, make sure the policy is going to cover what you want, see how the pricing looks, and see what other options are out there for you too, Olivia. Great question, Olivia. Thanks for sending that one in. If anybody has questions about long-term care coverage or something else we've talked about on this episode or in a past edition of the Retirement Toolbox, feel free to reach out to Scott by calling 888-742-0111 or go to talktoscott.com to schedule a time to visit at your convenience from your smartphone or computer. Again, go to talktoscott.com to do that. And we'll put the contact info in the description of today's show. Scott, really appreciate your help and your guidance on the program today. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Hey, Walter, I always have a blast. Enjoy the rest of your November, my friend. And we'll see you in the final month of the year. Can't believe it's already arising and uh, around the corner. I'll be knee-deep in snow, probably. (laughs) There you go. Uh, We'll be ready for it, and and we'll get you another uh, trip scheduled to get a break down to Florida in the midst of Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to everybody next time right back here on the Retirement Toolbox. Go Browns. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.